1: Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett, DeSantis decries the weaponization of government as Trump is indicted for a third time. The governor keeps fading in the polls amid signs his culture war approach is falling flat, and the firestorm continues over Florida's new black history standards. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor, Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter, John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post political editor, Antonio Finns. But first, well, we're back in business here at Inside Florida Politics after taking uh, nearly the entire month of July off. And of course, there was lots of stuff that happened uh, in July while we were gone. Uh, We have the DeSantis reboot. We have the third trump indictment lots of stuff to talk about but we'll go with some numbers here first john the number that's in my head lately has been the temperature it's been pretty warm uh how are you doing up there in tallahassee
0: oh yeah this is uh basically the same temperature as the planet venus but uh <laughs> we're we're enduring we're, we're enjoying the summer nonetheless but uh i do have a number of a political nature and it's a 23 this week
1: 23 all right how
2: about you antonio you Well, to welcome the NFL preseason this evening, I was looking
1: for a football-related number, but I'm just going to go with politics, 33. Okay, and I have a six this week. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll let you know what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, another bombshell indictment dropped this week as Trump now faces four charges related to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. The charges may be new, but the reaction from DeSantis was largely the same as he criticized what he described as the weaponization of government and a political prosecution. Antonio, there's really a lot to dissect here. What's your take on uh, the how this third indictment is playing politically?
2: Yeah, but you know, you know what, Zach, let's go back a bit to a year ago this coming Tuesday, and it was a, another sweltering August evening in Palm Beach, and we were wrapping up the workday when former President Trump stunningly announced that his Palm Beach County Club, Mar-a-Lago, was the site of an FBI raid. In the past 12 months since that evening, man, it's been equally stunning to see how legal and political fortunes have turned in, in opposite directions. We have never had a former president and presidential candidate beset by as many charges, they close to 80 felonies at this point, uh, and they are related to a hush money payment to a porn star, waiving classified secret documents to guests, and and leading an effort to end uh, 247 years of American democracy. At the same time, uh, Mr. Trump remains the most popular candidate in the Republican Party. And if polls are correct, and we have no reason to think that every one of those polls is wrong, well, he is on, well on his way to the GOP nomination next year. So you, know, you look at that and you think, wow, ju- just wow. The,
1: yeah, the thing is, I, I saw, yeah, I saw one analysis, Antonio, that... Um... At this point in the race, if a frontrunner was winning by at least twenty points in the polls, they had never lost. And Trump, in this latest New York Times poll, is leading by like thirty-seven points. So that's pretty bad news for DeSantis.
2: Yeah, but but if you think back even to the the end of this of last year in December of last year, I mean, Trump seemed to be a, a you know a fading star on the GOP landscape, uh, but. In the first half of this year, as the felonies piled up, he's, he's had this remarkable rebound in popularity among Republican Party faithful. Uh, you know, and meanwhile, Governor Ron DeSantis, who the New York Post crowned the future back in November of last year, seems to be the one fading and plummeting. And, and a key reason why fortunes have turned almost 180 degrees is because GOP voters, according to polls, have rallied around Trump even as his legal troubles have mushroomed since the spring. Uh, what we have heard for many months now is that these charges, almost, like I said, almost 80 felony counts at this point, have been seen by the GOP rank and file as renewed evidence of a government out of control. GOP voters in Trump MAGA rank and file you know, have told us as much. You know, however, if you read the indictments, it appears to be Mr. Trump who's acting out of control and with no regard for guardrails. You know, Which view is true? Well, you know, that's up to judges and the juries to sort out. What we can say is that the MAGA establishment is organized and lockstep on talking points after each indictment, including Tuesday's four counts related to the January sixth attack on the U.S. Capitol? After each one of those, the GOP falls in line behind Trump with talking points, noting that it is a that this is political interference, that it's weaponized government, and it's uneven treatment by a justice by the justice system, especially they say when compared to you know let's say you know president joe biden's son hunter and, and antonio his woes. yeah what
1: one leading republican who wasn't uh, on those talking points this week was mike pence i mean mike pence came out with a really strong statement saying you know trump asked me to choose between the uh, the constitution and and him and i'll choose the constitution every time he called uh, trump's lawyers a bunch of crackpots uh very different than what DeSantis is saying. Uh, Will Hurd, another Republican presidential candidate, is basically saying uh, that uh, Trump is running for president just to stay out of prison, not really to win, and that uh, this is all a a legal strategy. I mean, there are some leading Republicans who are being much more forceful and what they're saying about Trump and and these indictments and and his culpability uh, and and uh, you you don't hear that really from Desantis at all.
2: No, you don't. And and you know quite frankly, Pence and Hurd and the others, you know, Aza Hutchinson and and Chris Christie, they're all in the low single digits. Pence has moved up a little bit. So basically, yeah, you 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 know you, you speak truth to power, but you know the the MAGA faithful does not want to hear any of that. And there is an entire Media machine that is ramped up to reinforce, you know, what the prevailing you know, Trump viewpoint is and, and the, the the party line, so to speak. So now, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if if as Pence becomes much more vocal on this, uh, does the the Never Trumper vote? Do they all of a sudden start switching sides away from the Chris Christies? You know, all these single digits and pile up. That's what I wonder done? Antonio.
1: Not not necessarily like who is winning the 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 Trump vote because I mean the maga base Trump obviously has that locked up but there's still you know maybe upwards of 50% of the party I don't know that that uh, is not for Trump and maybe they do want to hear some of this stuff. Uh maybe maybe DeSantis has miscalculated in just going after the maga base and that maybe somebody like Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or Pence uh, ends up emerging here as as somebody who stands out by being more independent from Trump. Well,
2: yeah. And that's that's I think what if you're the the Ken Griffins of the world, if you're the Thomas Pederfes, if you're looking at these big donors, the the club for growth, all of these conservative organizations and and, you know, sort of, quote, unquote, never Trump Republicans, that's that's your hope right now is that we can, everybody can coalesce behind one of these candidates. And then that, and then, you know, that candidate now commands attention, commands a sizable support, and then ultimately, ultimately start siphoning away voters from Trump, GOP voters from Trump, because of the who can win, you know, debate. As I know is they say, well, you know what, I really do like Trump, but we need to win, and a Tim Scott might have a better shot of winning in in November of 2024. The the weird thing, though, and and this is what I would throw as a caution out there, is that I've heard from a number of rank and file Trump loving, you know, Trumplicans. They don't even call, they don't even you know res- they don't even call themselves Republicans. They're, they're Trumplicans. They're you know they're MAGA whatever, and their response to the who can win argument is Trump is the one that can win because Trump won in 2020 and they stole it from him. They're not going to steal it from him this time. So that's that's the one. You know, if you're a Tim Scott to get over or Mike Pence to get over the finish line here in about a year in August of um, to become the presumptive nominee sometime late spring of next year, you not only have to coalesce. The, the, the part of the party that doesn't care for Trump, um, you also have to win over Trump faithful. And a lot of them, I've heard, well, I can't say I heard from a lot, but I've heard from a number of them who make that argument, no, Trump is the one that can beat Biden because he's already done it. And that's going to be a really tough sell.
1: I don't know. I don't know how much of the Trump faithful you can really convert over. That seems to be DeSantis's theory of the case, that there's a lot of Trump faithful that are willing to break with him. And I'm I'm just not (laughs) sure about that. I think there's just a group of Republicans who don't like Trump. And there's a group of Republicans who really like Trump. But there's also a group in the middle who they kind of like him. But they're ready to move on. They're they're open to moving on, at least. And I think those are the people that DeSantis is failing to get uh, in large numbers right now. But, and,
2: there, <clears throat> and there is. And there is. We know there is. A, even within the Trump faith or the hardcore Trump audience, there is a subset that says, I love this guy. I will always love this guy. But I really want to win. And if I can find somebody who makes the same arguments he makes on these cultural issues, I'm willing to go to. I'm willing to back that candidate because we got to win in in 2024. The yeah. question is, how do you win that crowd over? Now, I'm I'm not sure.
1: Well, uh, it's. Uh definitely not looking like DeSantis is uh, doing it right now. And the evidence that his campaign is really going nowhere fast keeps piling up. Since our last podcast, the governor had to reboot again, cutting more than 40% of his campaign staff amid concerns he was burning through cash much too quickly. He's tried to change his messaging approach, interacting more with the the mainstream media who he used to just utterly uh, lambast and ignore. DeSantis 2.0 still looks a lot like the original though, and he's still leaning hard on his war on woke. Just this week, he rolled out an economic plan that was heavy on criticizing woke corporations, even as a New York Times Siena poll found that 52% of GOP voters prefer a candidate who steers clear of telling corporations what they can support over one who promises to quote, fight woke liberal corporate ideology. Of course, fighting woke corporate ideology is DeSantis's bread and butter. Just ask Disney. John, that same New York Times poll, as I mentioned earlier, has DeSantis at just 17% support compared to 54% support for Trump. It doesn't really uh, seem like the reboot is helping, if you can call it a reboot. Yeah, you
0: know, a a reboot is an acknowledgement that something isn't working. And for DeSantis, it seems like it's most of his campaign right now. Uh, he still got a lot of money, uh, in the never back down pack that's allied with his. Yeah. Campaign.
1: Almost a hundred million dollars. You really can't discount that that could get him at least, uh, to the early nominating States.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's still far ahead of any, of uh, anyone else in the field, including Trump when it comes to pack money, but, uh, he's been spending a lot and, uh, his push to change messaging, uh, seems forced. And, uh, As as both of you pointed out a moment ago, it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, You know, he's making a pitch for those blue collar voters now, which Trump isn't giving up. And uh, there are serious signs now that maybe he doesn't even make it to Iowa in January in the first nominating contest on the uh, Republican calendar. But, uh, you know, he does have the money to kind of soldier on for now. So maybe that's a little bit of a long shot that he doesn't make it. But uh, he's not really going in that direction uh, very, very vigorously right now.
1: Yeah, I don't see him giving up before Iowa, John. I I think he'll he'll. At least go to Iowa. And if he doesn't, you know, get first or second there, then it's probably over. But that's my just hunch.
0: Sure. Yeah. And he's invested heavily in Iowa. There's no doubt about that with a lot of staff on the ground. And, uh, you know, he's working the caucuses, trying to set that up in a way, which, uh, you know, is kind of an intriguing element of the uh, Iowa caucus. The the anti-woke stuff, which DeSantis has made his brand, you know, that doesn't seem to be captivating that many Republican voters. You know, Ed Rollins, the, the longtime Republican consultant who recently left the DeSantis super PAC, called him uh, the quote, not just not, not a natural candidate, unfortunately. Uh, I'm sorry, Rollins said that of DeSantis. He said he's not a people person and not open to changing. Uh, He even ridiculed DeSantis for laying off campaign staff as he was stepping up his Iowa campaign. Uh, uh, Rollins said the job you're running for is all about management. And, um, you know, that's something when you do that on the eve of when you're really going into Iowa in a big way, that that should have really just been done much more quietly uh, without the fanfare of a reboot, uh, you know, making it part of the reboot. So DeSantis himself sort of shined a light on his problems. Uh, It does seem like DeSantis has been reduced to something of a caricature now, you know, first by Trump, you know, de-sanctimonious, and now by voters who have sort of taken a longish look at the Florida governor and they've come away unconvinced. His uh, his only hope seems to be that with Trump collecting serious You know, democracy shaking criminal indictments the way some people collect parking tickets. uh, Republican voters will have an epiphany and realize he's doomed as a presidential candidate again. Uh, Maybe DeSantis then can get a second look. But that's going to have to come fast because, you know, even with the reboot and the belt tightening on staff, DeSantis will run until the money dries up and will see maybe the first signs of a drop off in his fundraising ability in the next Federal Elections Commission campaign finance filing uh, on September 30th. Uh, We may, you know, he still seems to be pretty vigorous when it comes to uh, campaign collecting, but um, that will be a a much watched date when it comes to uh, a little bit of a reckoning for DeSantis uh, on the downturn here. Uh, really, for DeSantis, it's been a
1: summer without a lot of love democracy shaking indictments like some voters <laughs> collect parking tickets that's a that's a great line there, John. um yes, you know the the Trump campaign is really trying to twist the knife here. They put out a, a memo just this morning mocking. The reboot. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of it here. Get your take, John. Uh, this is from Susie Wiles and Chris Lesivita, um, who are leading Trump's campaign, uh, and it's the the title of the memo is "Ron DeSantis Reboot: Comparisons to John McCain in 2008, Not Based in Reality." Obviously, there's been a lot of comparisons to McCain's campaign, which also struggled uh, around this time uh, in 2008 and shed staff, and then. Kind Kind of regrouped and went on to win the Republican uh nomination that year and uh, Wiles and Lacivita say that that shouldn't be uh, a mod or something that uh, people expect of DeSantis they say quote, there is no value proposition to a DeSantis candidacy. New Coke fell flat after much fanfare and studies showed that more people consumed it the more they disliked it. Does that sound familiar? DeSantis's campaign is marred by idiocy. John McCain did not spend the opening week of his reboot explaining why his staff produced a video with Nazi imagery, which we haven't discussed, but that was another big stumble, and defending his comments that slavery provided some benefit to enslaved Americans, which— we're going to discuss here in a minute. While attacking Black Republicans publicly in the process, John, they they like to put out these these mocking things of Desantis. But doesn't it show? I mean, if they're still really. Going after him, that he is the guy that they view as the biggest threat.
0: Yeah, well, there is that. Yeah, he is still the only uh, rival to Trump that's anywhere near double digits right now. It seems like, and uh, that's a that's a plus for Desantis. He's still the, uh, the the tallest of the of the midgets that are standing next to. Uh, Trump right now. So, uh, yeah, he's a, 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 still a potential thorn in the side of uh, Trump. And there is always the concern for the Trump campaign that, indeed, somehow Republicans coalesce behind the, the, the number two guy who is uh, DeSantis right now. So, um, yeah, it's a badge of honor for DeSantis. But uh, Trump can uh, attack viciously, and he has been doing that. And that has really taken a lot of the shine off DeSantis from the get-go, and um, you know, DeSantis has done a lot to himself. We can go back to Zach when you were watching his uh, tw- then Twitter uh, town hall, which uh, back in May was so uh, error plagued. And um, you know, maybe that up, was an
1: being o- a pretty good metaphor for the entire campaign here. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> was that an ominous sign about where the uh, campaign was headed? So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, uh, DeSantis can take some uh, s- some. Enthusiasm, I guess, from the idea that uh, Trump is still targeting him out of this broad field of candidates right now. But maybe that's going to shift too somewhere along the way. Maybe, uh, you know. Uh
1: Tim Scott becomes the next target. Well, he'll know that he's doing well when he starts getting attacked. The tallest of the midgets. You're you're full of good one-liners today, uh, John. <laughs> but uh, you better watch out. Uh, DeSantis, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the Trump campaign might you steal that one from you. They love to highlight when he wears his uh, cowboy boots that have yeah. heels on them. Um, <clears throat> Well, one of the reasons that DeSantis may be struggling is he keeps getting thrown off topic like this last week when there was intense coverage of Florida's new black history standards, which talk about slaves receiving personal benefits from their enslavement. The standards have been widely criticized by everyone from Vice President Kamala Harris, who made two recent trips to Florida to jab at DeSantis, to Black Republicans like Tim Scott and Byron Donalds, to just recently in this Trump memo. Antonio DeSantis is is digging in and defending this. Is that wise? Well, common
2: sense would tell us it's not
1: wise, but then
2: again, denigrating life-saving COVID vaccines as jabs and wasn't prudent and digging his heels into the fight with Walt Disney World proved costly and table setting the banning of books on Billie Jean King or Roberto Clemente or Anne Frank also would seem like unnecessary self-inflicted wounds. Look, here's the thing about, there are a couple of things that are getting lost in this whole fight. Uh, one of them is that the standards in general got the okay from his fellow Republicans. Um, You know, it's just as Congressman Byron Donalds of Naples said, um, who's by the way one of the more visible Black Republicans. Like he said, he just wanted a couple of sentences adjusted, and that's the word he used. Adjusted. Really, it's really it's just one
1: sentence or one One clause in the sentence. Like if you modified one clause in one sentence, you could just get over this. Exactly. But now that
2: doesn't sound like a rebuke or an attack. But it did. But that's how the governor responded. He said that Byron Donalds and others were basically, you know, parroting leftist arguments. You know, now people can disagree with Byron Donaldson issues, but the one thing I don't think I would ever call him is a, a mole for the radical left. So what what this shows is it's not just about although the he is
1: a a big Trump supporter, and and you could argue that he's you know trying to jab he's at not. DeSantis because of yeah. uh, but it wasn't Trump. One.
2: But it wasn't much of a jab. He actually yeah. lauded the standards overall and just said, hey, there's just one sentence. and just adjusted. I mean, that's not even much of an attack. I think what this shows again is that DeSantis demonstrating that he cannot tolerate even friendly constructive criticism. I mean, in an interview this week, however, DeSantis said, quote, I, I don't believe in demeaning anybody. We well, really, well, you know, those high school kids that you scolded and berated because they wore COVID face coverings to one of your presses might disagree about that. But you know the other thing is just take let's just take a second to think about what the governor is saying. You know he's doubling down in defending a state educational standard that speaks to slavery as a benefit because it taught and provided experience in, in trade skills. You know DeSantis is a governor in the party of Abraham Lincoln, and he's seeking the GOP presidential nomination that Lincoln won 163 years ago. Lincoln is the POTUS that committed the Union to its most lethal war ever, precisely to end the expansion of slavery. Then Lincoln bucked his cabinet to push the Emancipation Proclamation to free slaves, and then pulled all sorts of political tricks to get Congress to ratify the 13th Amendment to abolish slavery. And now the governor, hoping to follow in Lincoln's footsteps, argues that slavery had some benefits. (laughs) The sentence might want to read the Lincoln-Douglas debates, because You know, if you're wondering why DeSantis' presidential stock has plummeted like a Wall Street crash, this helps explain it. You know, but in reality, a lot of this doesn't really, it's not really that surprising. You know, we've seen the governor take hardline position now for years and then become defensive and combative when he gets pushed back. That's not a departure. The one thing that did surprise me out of Florida this week is that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, turned down the opportunity to debate the standards here in Florida. And we should talk a little bit about this because it seems to me there's a missed opportunity there for, the, for Harris to raise her profile on what seems like a fairly easy debate to win. My thinking is that, you know, there are concerns about Biden's age, and that means by extension there are concerns about Harris herself. You know, this could be an opportunity for her to deck DeSantis, who we have seen is not a great debater, and to do it in his home state, and, and maybe— Energize dispirited De- Florida Democrats, and, and maybe even stall the avalanche-like momentum that Florida Republicans have enjoyed for more than half a decade now. You know, I mean, if I if I were in a high school debate and the topic were slavery and I got to argue against slavery, you know, I'd take that challenge.
1: The only reason I could see is that maybe they just don't want to give them any oxygen because they want to run against Trump. But uh, I, I mean, DeSantis' reaction, you're right, Antonio, is completely unsurprising uh you know Trump sort of perfected this playbook never apologize for anything never look weak always double down always punch back and that's what DeSantis has adopted uh as well he ne- he will never uh admit th- uh that he's wrong because um that I- seems like a weakness um and but but I but I wonder if there, you know, if there's this whole idea that all publicity is good publicity. And if you're talking about DeSantis, maybe you're giving him free media attention. Is there, do you think there's any benefit of him getting embroiled, um, in this fight or, or, or do you think that it all kind of cuts against him? Because maybe for the MAGA base, maybe they want to see him fight over some of these issues. I mean, critical race theory, all of the, the, the racial stuff that has become such a big part of the Republican agenda, maybe maybe this fits in somehow w- with all of that. I mean, it seems pretty clear to most people that there were no benefits from slavery. And DeSantis has tried to sort of equivocate and say that's not really what the standards are saying. But, um, you know, people who have read it on its face, who are Republicans, uh, disagree with that. But I, I wonder, do you think that just the idea of him being in the news uh, with uh, w- could help him with some uh, base voters well you know we
2: had we two cliches clashing into each other you know with each other one is the you know you just pointed out that all new you know any news is good news because it gives you attention it gives you oxygen it gives you yeah and and, and the reason I
1: bring it up is because this seems like a pattern with DeSantis this is how he kind of rose to prominence in the Republican Party by picking all these fights that were very controversial and a lot of people thought well man I can't believe you're going there but it, it ended up um making him stronger within the Republican party yeah but the other problem is it, it's crashed against the other
2: cliche which is if you're explaining you ain't winning which uh if yeah. one a colleague of ours on, on this podcast would repeatedly remind us and and he's just spending a lot of time explaining and i i just not i'm i'm, I'm not seeing this is you know we'll, we'll see what the the polls look like when they the, ne- the next set they'll probably come out early you know in the next week or so but I I just I've not seen any of this move the needle. I have not seen the the fight with Disney World move the needle for him. Yeah, yeah, but did definitely move the needle for Mm -hmm. him was COVID. But that was because it was it wasn't so much. It it was just that people were tired of the COVID restrictions. And I think that he correctly we said this on this podcast, whether you agree with the way he did or not, doesn't matter. He correctly read popular mood. Popular mood was we're done with these restrictions. We don't want to sit in our house. We don't want to wear a mask in public. 24 seven, you know, and if I want to get a vaccine, it should bite. It should be my decision. That was right or wrong. That was the public mood. He read it correctly. And I think he got rewarded for it in November of last year, but on these other cultural fights, it's, you know, the, the video, the, uh, the video, the, the, LGBTQ plus video that his campaign put out, that's another one where he's, he's he ends up explaining and trying to rationalize it and justify it and I'm not sure that's that that's moving. It certainly hasn't moved the needle for him among the, the MAGA crowd in the, in the hard right of the Republican Party.
1: You're saying the popular mood is is that uh, slavery wasn't beneficial. I, I think that that's probably- I think we can judge that. I, I think we can ju- I think we can conclude
2: that, in fact, the popular <laughs> mood uh, believes that, that Lincoln was right and and that and that the the Confederacy was wrong.
1: I don't know. The world's changing. Who knows? All right. We'll move on to some numbers here. Uh, John, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah,
0: Zach. I had a 23 and uh, it kind of recalls, you know, Michael Jordan made a career out of wearing 23. But, you know, Ron DeSantis, he'd like to get rid of his 23. It's the percentage of college graduates among Republican voters who support him. The problem is that in the same cohort, 40 percent support President Trump, former President Trump, the, the guy with the three criminal indictments. Uh, th- those are the numbers from the New York Times Siena College poll that were released just before Trump's latest indictment and those numbers are uh, the, the the poll numbers are getting a lot of attention over the course of this week but you know for DeSantis the telling thing is that he's not getting swamped by Trump among college graduates it's that it's that this group a month ago actually favored him over Trump according to a, a CNN poll at that time uh, remember Tr- DeSantis was supposed to be the the smarter more sensible less controversial Controversial version of Trump and all the right wing policies and the autocratic rage that you liked with Trump, you could get with DeSantis, but without the drama. Well, that argument has clearly fallen flat, and that's another part of the governor's repivot. Uh, It's perhaps no surprise that the same day that this poll came out, DeSantis was already unveiling an economic plan in early primary state New Hampshire that really played heavily into populist working class themes and and also fed into a few conspiracies about everything from COVID to Amazon uh, to uh, the Federal Reserve and the World Economic Forum. it's really something that DeSantis clearly sees. He needs at least a bigger portion of that blue-collar voting base that is locked on to Trump and doesn't seem willing to let go. the The college Republican crowd, the college-educated Republican crowd, there's just not really a, a, enough of them. It seems like right now to to make that much of a difference for him right now, and uh, that's you know going to be costly going forward so um you know maybe DeSantis gets a a a second look somewhere along the way um, the fact that um you know he he is somebody that is still hanging around the the edges of the trump campaign um, and uh, there's will they again get cozier with the promise of a of a smarter policy oriented trump, but um that, that doesn't seem to be there any longer. Uh, if, if he's lost the Chardonnay and charcuterie crowd, that was one of his uh, last uh, bastions of potential support. So this DeSantis Island of support just seems to be getting smaller the longer he runs and the more money he spends.
1: Yeah. I, I, did a story a few weeks ago, John, about how yeah, uh, DeSantis is really struggling with blue collar voters. And now if he's, he doesn't have white collar voters, what, what collar voter does he have? Uh, exactly. you know, th- there was like the beer track vote, um, that Trump was dominating and, and DeSantis had, uh, the wine track vote, but uh, now now he's got to look for a, a different beverage uh, <laughs> a group here. I don't know. Uh, that that's bad news for him. Uh, how about you, Antonio?
2: I am a number is thirty three, and I'm going across the pond uh, to the Spanish elections with a cautionary political tale for conservatives here. If you guys can call back in March, I talked about you know political trends in Spain as these right wing politicians. Uh, were parroting both Trump and DeSantis rhetoric. One politician even said that her goal was to make Spain the Florida of Europe. Uh, well, a funny thing happened uh, when they actually went to count the votes in the July 23rd national elections in Spain. The conservative Popular Party, which is Spain's version of the GOP, was expected to regain power because of the unpopularity of the ruling liberal government. But when the votes were counted, the popular party, which is kind of like the Republican Party, I said, uh, fell short of winning a, a majority of the seats in parliament and here's the thing: it's not that the popular party underperformed. it's that the far right Vox party did extremely poorly. Think of it this way: imagine if in the u s the Republicans were their own party and then, and then the the Trump faithful were their own separate party, and the way that they would ruin an election is. Each of them, they were former coalition government. They were joint forces. Well, that's, that's what the expectation was. The expectation was that the popular party would win all these seats, and Vox would win all these other seats, and then they would rule together. But here's what happened. Vox flopped in the July 23rd election. The Magalite Magali- Vox party not only did not pick up seats, they lost more, of a, more than a third of the existing seats, 19. So they ended up with just 33 seats, which is my number, where they previously had 52 seats. And here's the thing. And because of that failure of Vox, it, it basically has kept the popular party from becoming the ruling party in Spain. So here's the thing. We, we've seen the same trend kind in of Western Europe. In, in France, for example, unpopular French liberal leader, Emmanuel Macron, won re-election because he was opposed by a far-right candidate, Marie Le Pen, and voters said, you know what? We don't like Macron very much, but." The far right is just a little bit way out there. So they went with Macron. And we actually saw a similar result here in the United States in last year's midterm election. The GOP, as you remember, was poised to ride a colossal red wave courtesy of President Joe Biden's unpopularity until GOP voters nominated a bunch of election denying far right Republican candidates. In the end, many of those candidates lost. And instead of winning the U.S. Senate, uh, Republicans actually had a net loss of one seat As the Democrats emerged with that one seat gain, uh, the GOP did win a House majority, but with a really slim advantage. So the moral of the story here is that in the Western democracies from North America to Europe, voters have, when presented with an unpopular liberal leader or government and a far-right alternative, they seem to have sided with the unpopular liberal leader. So just something to keep in mind as we head into 2024, and it looks like. You know, Mr. Trump is is that going to be at the head of the ticket for the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, the story in in global politics over the last few years has really been the success of these far right populist movements, um, and they they have had. You know, it's not just Trump uh, winning. It, you know, there's a there's a far right leader in Italy uh, right now. But uh, it, your point to being that it is this is uh, there's some back backlash to this, and maybe maybe the uh, Tide is starting to up a little bit, so we'll see. My number is six. That's how many of the 42 billionaires who donated to DeSantis' re-election campaign through May of last year also donated directly to the Never Back Down PAC, supporting the governor's presidential campaign. I did a story last year looking at DeSantis' billionaire donor support and found forty two of them, which is an expert told me was extraordinary in a governor's race. People I talked to said that the, uh, having those billionaires in his corner could help DeSantis a lot when he runs for president. The problem is that most of them aren't cutting big checks to his uh, presidential campaign, which which actually I found a little bit surprising. I thought that a lot of them would uh, transfer over, but Never Back Down released its uh, first financial report this week, uh, and only six of the 42 contributed directly uh, to the pack another 4 of those 42 billionaires gave uh to DeSantis's state political committee in February which uh then transferred all of its money right in to never back down so that you know they they basically kind of donated to his presidential uh campaign as well but even then it would only be 10 out of the 42 or or less than uh 25 percent. Um, you know, some of the some of the six include um like the DeVos family. Betsy DeVos was uh Trump's uh, education secretary. They own the Orlando Magic, which uh, uh got some attention this week uh, for giving uh, Never Back Down uh fifty thousand uh dollars. Uh Ed DiBartolo Bartolo Jr., who's a, a Tampa businessman, also gave to Never Back Down and to DeSantis' state political uh committee Norm Norman Brown who's uh you know a, a well-known um a donor or a GOP donor in South Florida uh gave to both but some some of DeSantis's uh, biggest billionaire supporters from his governor's race uh last year haven't transferred over most notably uh Ken Griffin uh the hedge fund um uh, manager who gave DeSantis uh 5 million for his re-election campaign has not given uh, to his presidential campaign yet so um it, it's pretty fascinating uh that that uh this this billionaire support which really seemed to buoy DeSantis and and push him to record fundraising uh in his governor's race and 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 was one of those sort of um one of those sort of check marks where people looked and said man this guy could be a big uh contender if he's got all these heavy hitter donors behind him that really uh hasn't materialized he does have some mega donors uh, for his pack most notably Robert Bigelow uh, who put in 20 million and also gave 10 million to his re-election campaign last year Bigelow um is uh, uh he he made his fortune uh on an extended stay uh, motel company and also has an aerospace company Company and uh, notably, said that in an interview that he thinks aliens are already here on Earth. Uh, he has is continued to be DeSantis's biggest donor. He is not a billionaire, at least according to Forbes. So he wasn't on my list of uh, forty-two, but he is standing behind DeSantis, and that's no small amount of money. But um, you know, it, it isn't uh, the the big group of billionaires that maybe he would have hoped to have had to, to carry him uh, down the stretch uh, in this campaign. And, and that might be a sign that uh, not only is he struggling to inspire the grassroots, but that big money donors who have helped make him a top tier candidate also are a little bit uh, nonplussed by his campaign so far. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.